Well, good morning. Welcome to Lake Point Church. I know you've heard that many times, but uh, it's been one of those weeks, right, where you're not sure where you are, what day this is. I know we're talking to people and they're like, this is Tuesday, right? I'm like, nope. Oh, what day is this? Uh, this is Sunday. Welcome to church. And uh, we're, we're just glad that uh, we survived this last week. Uh, I know our family, we, uh, as, as you get older, it's one of those things where, you know, as you're little, you're looking forward to the presents and you're like this thing I want. As you get older, I now understand my parents are like, we just want you to come home and uh, be here for Christmas Day. And so my whole family, my kids were all together on Christmas Day and it was awesome. And um, I, I, we, I got my, one of my kids a game that I would definitely recommend if you guys get families together and you have lots of people. Uh, I got one of my kids a thing called a shock tato. And uh, it's, you play hot potato with it, but if you're holding it, when the music stops, it shocks you. And uh, so it was a lot of fun. And uh, you tend to pass it really quick, and, uh, but it's not bad. It's uh, just a little shock. Um, but there is a warning on it. If you have a pacemaker, do not play the game. So it might be a little more than what I think it is. But uh, it, was, it is a fun game and definitely worth getting if you've got younger people in your household sitting back watching them play it, you know, not good for grandpa. He needs to be a you know, bad heart. He can't, I'll just sit and watch. And, uh, but laughed till we cried. It was, it was so much fun. Uh, but the end of this year, it's amazing how fast 2023 went. It seems like not too long ago we were sitting here. It was, well, I wasn't even here a year ago. And uh, you were sitting here and you're going, man, it's going to be 2023. And 2023 is almost gone. 2024 is, is here, and uh, what, a, what a great opportunity for, for us to have a, a blank canvas. And that's what we're talking about this, this morning is just having a blank canvas to write on it the things that we want to write on it. And sometimes, don't you, aren't, aren't there some things that uh, if you could go back to something this last year that you might do it just a little bit different? Maybe there's something that uh, you would say just a little different. You know how that is. I'd, maybe it's just me, but uh, I know that there are times that uh, in, in, in my household where I grew up, uh, you had to have really thick skin because we were able to jab at each other and we didn't take it personally. But then I married a woman <laughs> that words are very important to her. And I had to learn very quickly that the words that I normally would say to my siblings or to my parents don't always come out the exact same way. And so there were a couple things I had to learn to say, two words I had to learn to say uh, rather quickly into our marriage, and it was, I'm sorry. And uh, said that a lot. You know, as a, as a new husband, you think you know everything, and you realize you don't. Um, or if you do think you know it, people tell you, you're an idiot. Just stop for a minute. You'll, you'll grow into this. It'll be fine. You'll make it. And uh, we did that. But you learn to say, I'm sorry. And uh, if, if you have kids, you know, sometimes you have to pull your kids aside and go, hey, look, I'm sorry. I mean, there are some, some people, my, my, I, have a, I have three siblings, an older brother and then two younger sisters. And there's 16 years difference between my older brother and my youngest sister. And my parents parented my youngest sister way differently than they parented me and my brother. She got everything. She got to do everything. She got to go everywhere. She got everything. We got nothing. 
Like we got the generic, uh, there's a, used to be a store called King Odd Lots. It was like before, King, before Big Lots and everything was generic. Everything was black and white. Like that was what our cereal looked like. My sister, she had Fruit Loops. I'm like, I hate her. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, so you had, you, we, we had to learn to, for, for, to ask for forgiveness. And, and if you have multiple kids, you know that your kids are very different. And I was the child that wanted to help. And you know that kid that always wants to help that you're like, I really wish they wouldn't help so much because it's really not helping? I was that kid. I wanted to help. And I, I learned rather quickly that I liked being outside. I liked doing things um, on the car. And, and one of the things that I really enjoyed doing was washing the car. And growing up in the 80s, we had this big brown van, if you remember them, a uh, sliding door on the side, one side, you couldn't get in on the other side, you had to always go through the one door, but a big sliding brown door, bench seats, it was like a giant living room inside, I mean, on, on wheels, it was awesome, and uh, we would take that van on vacation, and when we come back from vacation, we always went to Florida, and we'd come back and there were bugs plastered all over the front of the van, and so as I got older, I realized that one of the things that I liked to do is wash the van when we got home. So we came home from vacation one day and I got out the stuff to wash the van and I began washing the front of the van, the hood, and I, the bugs just were not coming off. And so I thought, man, what does mom use on pans when the, she can't get the stuff? I'm not even there yet. Okay. What does she use to get the stuff off the pans? And I knew where she kept it under the sink in that little cup thing. And so I went in and I got that Brillo pad and uh, went outside and, you know, I learned you don't just like big thing. You have to make sure it gets it off first with anything you put on the, on the vehicle. And so I little spot on the hood of the, of the van. Um, but, so I used that Brillo pad. Those bugs came right off. And I was like, yes, this dad is going to be so happy. <laughs> and I'm putting swirls in the van hood. I didn't know it. Until I got done washing it and I rinsed it off and it began to dry and I'm like, what is that? And uh, so I sprayed it again really quick to make, see if it would go away. As long as it was wet, it was fine. And I'm trying to figure out how do I keep this van wet all the time so that dad doesn't notice. It dried, dad noticed. Dad did not say anything to me. At the time I was like, maybe he didn't notice. Now as a parent, I'm like, I know why he didn't say anything because words would have come out that he could never have taken back and poor little Chris would have been carrying that wound all of his life and he's like, I'm not going to put him through that. I'm just going to kill him one time when he goes to sleep. <laughs> but there's things that you wish that you could go back and you could, you could change. I mean, we all have those. Like, uh, if, you're, if you interact with people, you wish that you could change things. You know, you go to, you go to the, uh, this Christmas time as we were out shopping the most wonderful time of the year. I don't think these people actually shop with people that sang those songs, but you know, you're, you're out the most wonderful time of the year. You're humming it as you're going through the song, people running into you, stealing your stuff, taking your parking spot, all the things. And you're like, this is so awesome. People just offend us all the time. But as we go into this year, on your notes, we'll start going through there, but it, we all wish that we could get a blank canvas so that we could start over in many areas of our life. So many times you just live life and there's, you always wish that you had a blank canvas. I wish that I could start over. Well, guess what? 2024 is completely blank. 
There's nothing on it. There's no events. There's no things. You haven't offended anybody yet in 2024. Nobody has offended you. It is completely blank. And you have the opportunity to write on 2024 anything that you want, everything that you want. It can be the greatest year of your life. But there's something that we need to get if 2024 is going to be a great year, and that is this. Forgiveness creates a blank canvas that sets me free. Forgiveness. Now, one of the things that I said that I had to learn as a, as a new husband was, I'm sorry. And I don't know what about you, but saying those two words are really, really difficult. Because you know you're right. Not that my wife and I have ever had disagreements, but if we had, it would look something like this. I'm right, and I don't know why she can't see this. Not that we have ever done that. But if we did, it would look that way. Like, why can't she see that I'm right? Like, if, if only, I'm just going to give it some time and allow her to sit in silence for a little bit for her to know how right I am. That doesn't work. <laughs> and so eventually, what do I have to do? I have to humble myself enough to say, hey, hun, I was wrong. I'm sorry. In my head, I finish that sentence with that you can't see it my way. But I don't say that. I just, let, I just say that first part, I'm sorry. And, and she says, that's fine. I forgive you. Those are hard words to say. I'm sorry and I forgive you. I mean, if you have little kids, you've, you've had to do this. If you have multiples, you've, or even if you don't, you have one that, you know, you have a friend over and they do something, they get in trouble or they get mad at each other and you say to that one, tell your sibling you're sorry. I'm sorry. Now mean it. I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you mean it when you don't mean it. But you tell them, mean it. So they say it with a smile on your face. I'm sorry. Now you say you forgive them. I forgive you. Now, we can get our kids to say that, but do they really mean that? No. They're just saying words. But what happens when they hold on to that grudge, that thing that happened? It wells up inside of them, and later on in the day, somebody gets pegged in the head with something, and you say, why did you do that? Because they did something earlier in the day, and I never let it go. We constantly have these things. I mean, yesterday we went to the mall and I'm driving and we were, and I, I saw a spot on the other aisle and I said, that's my spot. I called dibs. The guy coming down the aisle didn't realize that I had called dibs and he pulled in just before me. And so I drove past his car sharing my thoughts internally with him on what kind of driver he was, because I can do that. You know, I'm, I'm the better driver. He is always at fault. The person who's riding behind you, too close, they're at fault. The person who cuts, off, cuts you off, they're at fault. And, and we say these things, and Scripture tells us what people are actually like, so we shouldn't be surprised. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 4, it says, People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, 
not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Scripture tells us what people are going to be like. So why are we surprised when people are actually like this? And these people aren't just random people out in the world. These are the people that live within your home. And we have to learn to say, I'm sorry and I forgive you. If we're going to have this blank canvas that we can, that we can live out and live free, then we have to learn to say, I'm sorry to people. C.S. Lewis said this, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. You see, it's, it's a grand idea as long as I don't actually have to forgive somebody, forgiveness is neat. But that's the beauty of Scripture because Scripture does not cover anything with people in Scripture. As I, as I read through the Bible, I see things that I'm like, you know, if I was writing the story and it was my story, I would change a few details, make me look a whole lot better. But Scripture doesn't do that. Scripture doesn't make people in the Bible look better. It makes them look real and I can identify with them. In Genesis chapter number uh, uh, 25, Genesis chapter number 25, this isn't in your notes, this is just extra. So Pastor Scott said he only preached 15 minutes last week so I could have his extra time. So we're going to, I'm just kidding, we're not going to go. Genesis chapter number 20, uh, 25 is a story of, of two brothers, Jacob and Esau. Now, Jacob and Esau were your typical brothers. Like, they came out of the womb fighting. They fought through everything. One was mom's favorite. One was dad's favorite. And we all know who the favorites are in the families. Like, if you ask all of the siblings that I have who's the favorite child, we will all tell you the exact same person. My youngest sister. She was the favorite. She got everything. We all know who the favorites are. In Scripture, these kids had favorites. It wasn't just that they, that they claimed favorites. They had favorites. Esau was loved by his father. Jacob was loved by his mother. Esau went out hunting and did stuff outside. Jacob did things inside with his mom. And one day Esau, in Genesis chapter 25, Esau was out hunting and out working in the fields and he came in and he was famished. Jacob was inside and he was getting food ready. Esau walked in and he smelled this food and he goes, man, I am about to die. Give me some of that. And Jacob's like, eh, not ready yet. Esau kept saying, man, would you give me some? Give me some food, man, I'm about to die. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright. You know those trades that you do when you're kids? I mean, I, I remember as a kid, I collected baseball cards and I had no idea what was on these cards. And some kid that did know what was on these cards was like, I'll give you two for that one. And you're like, oh, two for one? That's a deal. So you take his two, he takes your one. He's like, sucker, what are you doing? I had no idea what I had. Esau, he didn't truly believe that he was going to have anything with his birthright. And so he said to Jacob, he said, for that pot of porridge, for that, for that stew that you made, for a bowl of that, I will sell you my birthright. And the birthright was something that was valuable when the father passed away. So in, in Genesis chapter number 25, in verse number 31, it says, Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, 
I'm about to die. Of what use is this birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Jacob gave him the stew and had his birthright. That was going to be valuable later on when dad passed away. But that's not where Jacob stopped. Jacob continued to know where to get his brother. In chapter number 27, Jacob planned this scheme to not only, now he has his birthright, but to get the blessing from dad. Now the blessing was going to be all the stuff that they had, the future, that he was going to be the leader of the family. And so Jacob went in and he got this plan together and he covered himself with goat hair. Now, if you think about that, how hairy was Esau? Like you covered him, you cover your arms with goat hair, your dad feels you, goes, oh, there's my boy. Like how, how hairy was Esau really? Smelled like dirt. He put dirt on himself, earth on himself, and he walked in and Esau, or Isaac says, who is that? He couldn't see. He was almost blind. And Jacob says, it's Esau, your son. In, in chapter number 27, in verse number 18, it says, So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up, eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. Jacob connived and cheated Esau. He went in and he now got the blessing from his father. Esau came in just a few verses after this. Esau comes in and he says, Dad, I've got the food that you asked me to go get. He said, what? Who are you? He said, I'm Esau, your son, the one who told you, you told to go get the food and then you'd give me the blessing. He said, your brother has deceived yet again. And if you look in chapter 27 down in verse 41, it says, now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. This was not one of those, you see your kids running across the yard, one in front of the other one, the one behind yelling, I'm going to kill you. No, this wasn't that. This was Esau looking at Jacob. This was Esau thinking and saying, when dad is dead, I'm going to mourn for him for a certain number of days. And then when, he, when I'm done mourning, I'm going to kill you. Esau, or Jacob, was scared to death. Jacob and his mother said, we need to get out of here. We need to get you out of here. And she, they sent him to, to his mother's brother, Laban. And for 20 years, Jacob worked for Laban. 20 years. 20 years, Jacob was constantly looking over his shoulder saying, I wonder when my brother Esau is going to show up and kill me. 20 years. Jacob created this life with Laban. And finally, after 20 years, God said to Jacob, I want you to go back to the land that I, the family is supposed to be at, the land that I promised. So Jacob got together with his family and he said, we're going, we're going back to home. And so they, got, they all got lined up. And as they got closer, Jacob had this plan. He said, I'm going to divide the family up and I'm going to put my uh, there were hand, handmaidens. He, he had two wives, Rachel and Leah. He wanted to marry Rachel, but he ended up marrying Leah, and then he married Rachel. So he had two wives, one he wanted, one he didn't. 
they each had a handmaiden, and those handmaidens were given to Jacob to have children with, because those Rachel and Leah considered those their children as well. So he basically had four wives. And so as they were approaching Esau, Jacob put the one that he didn't care about as much up in front. Then the next one, then the next one, then finally Rachel and her son were in the very back. And Jacob is able to, they're taking this caravan and, and he sends servants ahead and they, the servants come back to Jacob and say, Esau is coming with 400 men. And Jacob's thinking, we're dead. He's going to kill us. But if you look at Genesis chapter number 33, it says, And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph, last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. You see, the story that we have is that Jacob kept deceiving Esau and Esau kept getting angrier and angrier to the point he said, I'm going to kill you. For 20 years, Jacob was away and he was trying to figure out how do I reconcile this? How do I go back home? Jacob arranged this caravan to go home and when he got home, he did not find a bitter Esau. He found an Esau that had forgiven him and hugged him and wept with him. He didn't find an Esau that was carrying the anger of what had happened 20 years ago. Esau somehow figured out how to forgive without asking for him to forgive. Jacob never said, I'm sorry. Esau just forgave. We have to figure out how to get freedom. It's not asking how much forgiveness a person deserves. It's asking how much freedom do I deserve. It's not how much forgiveness do they get. It's how much freedom do I want for myself. Because when I hold on to this thing, Jacob for 20 years lived in bondage to what he was thinking was going to happen when he came home. Esau lived in freedom, not thinking about that stuff. But how do we get there? Forgiveness is more than a horizontal issue. It's a vertical issue. You see, forgiveness is not just about me and God. It's about me and the people around me. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15 say, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins your father will not forgive your sins. It's pretty harsh, isn't it? If we don't forgive other people, God's not going to forgive us? You ever wonder why sometimes you pray and it just doesn't feel like God is listening? Is there forgiveness in your heart? Is there bitterness in your heart? Are you holding something against somebody? Mark chapter 11 says, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. 
Tim Keller says this, if you don't forgive, you won't be pursuing justice. You'll be pursuing vengeance. If you don't forgive, you won't be pursuing justice. You'll be pursuing vengeance. You see, forgiveness is a core principle of what a believer lives. Forgiveness doesn't change the past, but it can change the future. I want you to see this. When we left off with Joseph, I'm sorry, with with Rachel and Jacob and Leah and Esau and that family dynamic where Jacob was coming back to see his, his brother and he was met with forgiveness, you have to picture this caravan. There were hundreds and thousands of animals that were in this caravan. There were dozens of people that were in this caravan and they were grouped, divided up into groups. And Jacob sent one group ahead and Jacob, as he was going to meet his brother, he bowed down seven times to his brother in order to seek forgiveness from him. And as you look, I want you to see this because it's, to me, I think it's fascinating. In verse, in verse uh, chapter 33 of Genesis, in verse number two, it says, and he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph, last of all. So here's, here's Jacob, then his wives and his children and his livestock, and the very last one is Rachel and Joseph. Joseph is watching his father seek forgiveness from his brother, and he's watching his brother give his uncle, give forgiveness to his brother Jacob. He's watching this whole thing. In Genesis chapter 50, in verse 20. Go back up to verse 17, sorry. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin. Now this is Joseph. This isn't Jacob, this is Joseph. Forgive your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. As a little boy, Joseph saw his father and his uncle reconcile a relationship. Now Joseph stands in the place where his brothers have come to him and said, would you please forgive us? And Joseph said, there's nothing to forgive. Because I see this, you meant it for evil what you were doing, but I see that God meant it for good. To save many people. And so many times we look at the things that people do, the inconveniences that come into our life, the frustrations that Timothy tells us people are going to be like. And we say, if they were just different, then my life would be so much easier. But Joseph chose to see the forgiveness as an opportunity to demonstrate what he had seen. Moms and dads, it is so vital that you teach your kids how to forgive. How do you do that? 
you go to them and you say, I'm sorry. I mean, maybe I'm the only father that ever says something rash to their kids. My kids remind me all the time when we get together, we start telling stories. And they're like, do you remember when I was four and you did this? Like, no, but obviously you do. I'm very sorry. I don't even know what I did, but I'm sorry. We say things and we do things, and when we pull our kids aside and we go, you know what? I'm sorry. I should have said it that way. Would you forgive me? And the kids are able to see, man, dad comes to me and asks for forgiveness. I can, I can go to others and ask them to forgive me. In 1898, there was a man by the name of Adolf Dostler was born. And in 1900, his brother Rudolf Dostler was born. Adolf and Rudolf were typical brothers. They did not get along all the time. This is a picture of them later on in life. They did not always agree. Their father was a cobbler, not the fruit kind, the shoe kind. He made shoes. <clears throat> and Adolf, as he grew up, he went off on a venture and it didn't turn out. So he went back home and began to work with his dad in the cobbler business and they began to make shoes. Rudolf, he, uh, as he got older, World War I came around and Rudolf was actually drafted to go off into the military. And so Rudolf went off into the military and that created just a little bit of animosity towards his brother. Why, do you have to, why can you stay home and, and work with dad and in the shoe company and I have to go off to war? A couple years at war, World War I, he came back home and tried his hand in business somewhere, didn't work out, so he joined his brother and his dad in the shoe company. <clears throat> Rudolph was more of the dynamic, outgoing personality. Adolph was more of the work, tedious, make the shoes. And so they made a pretty good team, although there were every once in a while something would spark up in between them. And Rudolph would go out and sell the shoes and Adolph would make the shoes. And it wasn't too many years after this partnership that they began to really their business really began to take off and they started the Dossler Shoe Company. They were selling over 200,000 pairs of shoes just before World War II. It was either the, I don't remember if the Olympics were in 1936 or 1938, but Jesse Owens actually wore a pair of the Dossler Brothers shoes in the Olympics and it really propelled them to, to fame. But then World War II came around. In World War II, both of the brothers were drafted by the German army to go off into war. As they went off to the war, they found out that Adolf was the one, the main one that ran the manufacturing company. And so they let Adolf go back to their home village and work in the shoe company. And they kept Rudolf in the war and it just made Rudolf mad. Once again, Rudolph was in war and his brother was at home, in his mind, at ease, making shoes. But they used the shoes for the German army. And so Rudolph was wearing the shoes, but he wasn't able to be with the family making the shoes. Made him mad, he went AWOL. 
He left the army and he went back home and began to try to get involved in the business, but the army found him and they actually put him in prison until the end of the war, which then created more animosity towards his brother Adolf. 1948, the two brothers had been so mad at each other that they decided that they were going to split the business down the middle. They were going to divide the employees, the assets, everything, split it down the middle, and the two brothers said they will never talk again. Nothing really ever happened. It was just more of the little bitty things here and there that caused problems between the two brothers, and they said, they, they just got so mad with each other that they said, we're never going to speak again. And until their deaths, they never did speak. They died in 19, around 1978. So for 30 years, didn't talk. They became so mad with each other that they divided up the, this, the Dostler Shoe Company. And Adolf, his nickname was Adi, <clears throat> he renamed his portion of the shoe company Adi was his nickname and his last three letters of his last name, D-A-S, Adi Das. So he started the Adidas Shoe Company. And his brother, Ruda, he used R-U from his first name, Rudy, Ru Rudolph, and the last two letters of his last name, D-A, Ruda. But it didn't take off very well, so they, re they renamed it Puma. So... Adidas and Puma were two brothers. And the town became so divided over Adidas and Puma, same town, the town became known as the town of crooked necks. Because literally, Adolf and Rudolf would not allow their employees to date one another, to eat in one another's cities, parts of the city, to live in that part of the city, to do any social events in that part of the city. The town became so divided and so angry with each other over a fight between two brothers. 1970s, they two brothers died. But the two companies, Adidas and Puma, kept fighting for 30 more years. The brothers were dead. But these two companies kept on the fight until finally the CEOs of the two companies said, What are we doing? We don't have a problem with each other. Why are we fighting? And in 2009, the two companies came together and they began, they had, they had a, a soccer match. They mixed the people. So there were some Puma, some Adidas people on one team, some Puma, some Adidas people on the other team. They played a soccer match. They said, it doesn't matter who wins, but the fight is over. Somebody had to say, this is stupid. What are we doing? In life, I don't know how you have been hurt. But how you handle the hurt does not just affect you. It can affect the generations after you. 30 years of, of people fought over something that they had no idea why they were fighting. Two brothers, when they were died, they were buried at opposite ends of the same cemetery so they could be as far apart from each other as they possibly could over nothing. This morning, I want for you to start 2024 with a blank canvas. 
You don't have to carry this hurt forward. Forgiveness doesn't change the past, but it can change the future. You can't ever change what somebody did to you. But you can change the future for those around you. You don't have to carry that. You see, the gospel, forgiveness is the heart of the gospel. 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Aren't you glad that when you came to the cross and you said, God, will you forgive me? He didn't say, well, I can do all of it except that one. It's all covered. Every wrong that we've ever committed, no matter what it is, if we ask God to forgive us, he will. You see, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, one of the things he said was, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Did that stop the crucifixion? No. Did that stop the pain of the crucifixion? No. You see, the effects sometimes still are there, but forgiveness can be given and good can happen as a result. The gospel isn't just receiving forgiveness. It's giving forgiveness. It's not just what God gave to us. It's making me a conduit to forgive those around me. As a follower of Christ, forgiveness doesn't just flow to us. It flows through us. This morning, I don't know if you're here and maybe you don't know Jesus Christ is your Savior. That's where it starts. You see, the Father forgives us so that we can then have the power to forgive those around us. The Father gives us the ability to forgive. And you may say, but you don't know what happened to me. No, I don't. And you may need help walking through, how do I forgive somebody who hurt me so deeply? But the answer is Jesus. That's how we do it. By myself, I can't. On her own, my wife can't forgive me. But with the power of Jesus, she can. On their own, my children can't forgive me. But when they have Jesus flowing through them and the forgiveness that he offers, they can. How do you forgive me? Through the power of Jesus. That's what the gospel is all about. Not just receiving. It's being a conduit. So this morning, if you have not received the forgiveness that God has to offer, at the end of our service, there's going to be some people standing here at the altar that are willing to pray with you. And maybe you don't even know what that looks like. 
Maybe you're saying, I, I want that, but I don't know, I don't even know what that means. Come talk to them. They'll be happy to share with you. Maybe this morning there's somebody that through our time together, God has brought to your mind and you're saying, but that was such a long time ago. At the end of the service this morning, a lady came up to me. She said, it's been 30 years. But today, I think I can forgive him. 30 years. You see, we're not intended to hold on to these grudges throughout life because 30 years she's been held captive. She's been a slave to that thing. And today she was set free. You don't have to live in bondage. God can set you free from that thing. But you don't know how they hurt me. No, I don't. But I know how much we have hurt our Savior and how much he said, I forgive you. And if that is the power that's living in me, then I can forgive them. Maybe you just need somebody to pray with this morning and you're saying, I just need to have a, I don't, I don't even know how to take that first step. Come talk to these people that are here. They'll pray with you. They'll guide you. You're like, Who do, what do I do next? If they don't know, they'll, they'll point you to somebody. You can talk to Pastor Dave, Pastor Tom, Pastor Scott, myself. Be happy to walk with you through this. How much freedom do you deserve? You see, it's not necessarily about us. But what a joy it is to get that off of your shoulders and say, I am free. So this morning, as we end our service, would you stand with us? And at the end of my prayer, there's going to be people here and they'll pray with you. Just come forward and talk to them. And I hope that you all have a wonderful 2024. It is a blank slate. Nothing written on it. No mistakes. No positives either. It is whatever you want it to be this year. Let's make 2024 a great year. Let's make it awesome. Let's make it a year that we look back, if we get through this and we're like, you know what? That was the best year of my life. And it's through the power of Christ that we can do that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for a scripture that is just so clear so real to us that it shows us what we can truly live like. It gives us examples of people who have sought forgiveness and receive forgiveness. It gives us the truth of your son Jesus who died on the cross for our sins so that we could be set free. And Father, I pray that this morning that if there's one here that does not know you, has not received that forgiveness, that this morning that they would come forward and talk to somebody that they would reach out over an email or a phone call and say, I, I want that forgiveness. And Lord, if there's one here this morning that you have brought somebody, something to mind this morning, that they would seek forgiveness, that they would forgive that person, that they might be set free and that 2024 can begin with a clean canvas. Lord, we ask that you'll guide and direct Give us your wisdom. Lead us. 
Help us to love you. Help our church to do more for you this next year than we did this year. Help us to reach our community. Help the gospel to shine bright through each and every one of us every day as we go about our business. Lord, we thank you and praise you for all that you're doing and all that you will do. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next year.